When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amused. I'm Stani. And I'm Sadie. Thanks for joining us welcome, to welcome. learn more about women and women artists. It's yeah. almost the end of august mm-hmm. right how does yeah. that happen these months have been flying by i know this year is going by very quickly actually it's very brief <laughs> it really truly is if it's your first time here joining us or if you're new to the podcast i just like to mention that we keep it more casual here uh where every week we learn new things and then we share what we learn with you we're not necessarily experts and art historians but we love what we talk about and what we learn about so we keep it more casual a little bit more like a conversation but I assure you that we do do our research and if there ever is a time though that we are wrong please let us know because like I said we're we're learning in real time a lot of the time about these women that we discover and then yeah like we said we just share this knowledge with you so that you can learn more about women in the arts I like to give that disclaimer consider it like yeah it's like a jumping off point And we mentioned Mm -hmm. that a lot. They'd be like, okay, here's like a little bit about something and now you can go and learn more about it on your own. Because obviously we aren't experts and we don't have the time to dive into all of the research required to like fully give you a thorough presentation on every single detail of each person. Mm -hmm. But we can give you (laughs) the snippets for like an hour that'll give you like a good general idea. And I think that that's helpful. Exactly. And today, I feel like especially I'm giving very bite-sized pieces of the people that I'm covering. Usually the format of the podcast is um, every other week, Stani and I find an artist of the month that we focus on. And then the other weeks we're focusing on topic. Um, So this week is my artist pick, which ended up me kind of finding a category of artists, like six people that I'm going to briefly shout out. Because I picked one artist and then I watched a documentary that that artist is featured in. And then I got an introduction to all of these women that I just wanted to shout out all of them very briefly. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is going to be just the jumping off point for everyone. But I still I just felt like it was worth it to share. Yeah, well, especially if they fit within a same category or field Mm -hmm. or a time period. We've done that before where, you know, like they fit so perfectly that you just throw them in together. It just makes sense. (laughs) And today we're talking about background singers, which is super fun because, I mean, personally, I am a singer. And so I love learning about other singers. And the documentary that I found is called 20 Feet from Stardom. And it's on HBO if anyone's interested in checking that out. It's a really great documentary. I would 100% recommend it. Um, But how I was introduced to this documentary and this person, just period, is I actually, I work in a music school and I was talking to a guitar instructor one day and we were talking about the song Rolling Stones because a group, I think, 
was singing the song Gimme Shelter by Rolling Stones. He knows about the podcast that I do here. And so he was like, oh, do you know about Mary Clayton? I I hadn't. And she is actually the woman who like does the iconic background vocals in that song. And so he told me, he's like, yeah, there's this woman. She's an incredible vocalist and she's not necessarily credited as like a featured artist in that song, but she's such a crucial, cool part of that song. And so a lot of people don't know about her. And he was right. I did not know anything about her. And so then I went, you know, did a little bit of research on her and found out about this documentary, which I actually had heard about previously, but hadn't had the opportunity to watch it yet. And so watched the documentary and then learned about all these amazing other just like background vocalists who um, like the interesting thing about background singers is they're all the people and just not even background singers, but just the musicians that are generally in the band of these famous people is that you're never going to know their name. I mean, like musicians might know who like, you know, like Michael Jackson's drummer guitarist is, but like most people in the general public don't know these musicians at all. And yet they're so crucial to the music making and the performing and so just in general an underappreciated sector of the music industry I think. Can I ask you a question as a non-musician? So when you're recording a track in the studio do you Mm -hmm. have background singers or does do people like record background vocals by themselves? Do you know what I mean? Yeah I would say Yes and no. And that's actually something that the documentary touched on where I think it was a lot more common by like 40, 50 years ago to hire background vocalists to come into the studio and record the parts. Well, but they probably didn't have like layering tracks and stuff in the same way that we do. All right. Yeah. And I'm sure a big part of that, yeah, is the technology that has just developed over time. But yeah, I'd say also too, even just like sonically and like just what the trend of what people like. And maybe even what the artist wants to do, it's become more popular just for the person to do the background vocals themselves. But also another thing is like, I think because of home studios and things like that, it's streamlined the process where it's like, if you can just record a bunch of vocal takes by yourself and just get it done more efficiently, you'll do that as opposed to having to like book the studio time, hire the singers and have to pay them and like set up a session where like an hour or two for just background vocal parts like I don't think that's necessarily as common because and especially like for just like smaller artists like myself it's like you don't have as much of a huge budget per se and so you'll just do it yourself but and then I think even like sonically in big pop tracks it's you know yeah I was trying to think because I know she did it during quarantine but folklore and evermore were just Taylor vocals yeah. right mm-hmm. but then performing them at the Eras tour which you talked about a lot She'll she had her background, background singers. singers and I remember like thinking it was so cool to hear it live with all of the tracks yeah. because I know that sometimes I've heard like multiple tracks on a song and then you hear it live and it's just the one because they did all of them yeah and they don't uh-huh. have like a background singer so yeah that makes sense I was just curious yeah I, I would say I mean it happens both but I think the trend as of lately has been to just have the artists do it themselves. And like I said, the documentary actually touches it on it, touches on that because like a lot of the singers bring up that they're not really getting as many calls anymore. And it's really hard to like make a living as a studio background singer Um, where it still happens. Like a couple months ago, I had a friend out here in Nashville who's recording her EP and she was like looking for background vocals. And 
So she asked me if I could like, you know, come in and help her with it. So I recorded some background vocals with her, but like she was, you know, in on the background vocals as well, because you can't really tell the nuances and voices and things like that. But yeah, so, yeah, it is kind That's of That's true. That's so interesting. I wonder mm -hmm. like what it's like for background singers out there right now, because yeah. unless you're going on tour, yeah, I would say touring probably is probably or like. I mean, at least like here in Nashville, like having to do like Broadway type like live gigs is like the main True. way that you'd make an income or like, as opposed to studio work, maybe. Yeah. Or like a residency if you could like yeah. get in with an artist who's in one place for a long time. That's crazy, though. Like I know. that's, that's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. I love seeing ways that like the music world has changed because I feel like it's changed more dramatically than a lot of other art forms. Mm -hmm. because totally of like agree. technology and streaming and everything else like it is an entirely new world and idea from like everything yeah. else that it used to be totally and I do also love shouting out like the background singers and also just like the musicians that are behind the scenes because I think a lot of the times when like you tell people like oh I want to be a musician like I want that to be my career thing it's so easy just to like scoff at that and be like, oh, you think you're going to be famous? And yeah, and it's it's not like that's the only way to be a professional and successful musician and to like make a genuine like good living be, a mu you know, as a musician is by being famous. And also a lot of people don't even have the desire to become like a famous, well-known musician. They just like want to play music. And so I, I think it's important to just remember that just chasing art period there's so many legitimate ways to pursue art that isn't necessarily to be famous and just because people outside of your industry or your world of music or art maybe don't realize that it like you know you know it's not it doesn't have to be you know to be famous to to I don't know make your dreams come true or whatever so definitely it's, a good it's reminder, one of those it's like the invisible jobs in the yes, arts and there's people, so like, many. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, that exists. But like they don't think about it on a day to day basis. That happens mm -hmm. a lot with graphic design because yeah, like sure. no one thinks about that. But it's on every aspect of everything mm -hmm. that you consume on a daily basis. And so when people are like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a graphic designer. And they're like, oh, yeah, that exists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Or it's even just like the amount of invisible music jobs where it's like there has to be people that makes the music for TV shows or like yes. the podcast music things like there's so yes. many just like little invisible jobs that are like I was, you can make it work no matter what you want to do. I was even thinking of like orchestras for yes. like mm -hmm. live productions. There's people who will work for like a theater for 60 years like playing mm -hmm. an instrument and they get to stay in the same place have a steady income and a regular job playing and they instrument. just play music for a living yeah it's mm -hmm. just like there's so many different ways I think that and I know there's churches that hire like organists or pianists to play music mm -hmm. every single Sunday and that's like a, a regular legitimate mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so I love shouting out the in quote-unquote invisible artists and musicians that are always behind the scenes but are just as crucial as yes. the stars you know I agreed yeah it's I think a lot of the times people would view like oh because their background or in the band they're replaceable but no 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 <laughs> don't know no, no. someone's don't so. gotta do it <laughs> someone's has to do it and do it well too mm -hmm. so before I talk about the individual women I do want to talk about the documentary so 20 feet from stardom came out in 2013 and it was by a documentary filmmaker Morgan Neville um, and it was produced by Gil Friesen 
um, who's actually a music industry executive who really just had a curiosity to know more about background singers. And that's what inspired the making of this film. And it actually originally premiered at Sundance in 2013, which is fun. Oh, cool. Sundance is yeah. in Utah. So woohoo. Home. <laughs> and, and, and the film follows the behind the scenes experiences of backup singers. And it stars Darlene Love, Judith Hill, Mary Clayton, Lisa Fisher, Tata Vega, and Joe Lowry. Has a lot of others. And those are like the main six highlights to different extents and it actually won an academy award for the best documentary feature at the 86th academy awards which is really cool to start with this awesome quote from lisa fisher who was one of the main six that they spotlighted about backup singing and she said i reject the notion that the job you excel at is somehow not enough to aspire to that there has to be something more i love supporting other artists she added some people will do anything to be famous and i just wanted to sing and so i i love how she like touched on the fact that it was like it's not like she viewed her job as like a stepping stone to be famous like she just genuinely wanted to do it like she wasn't like like she said she's like it's somehow not enough to aspire to like no it wasn't enough for her to say i want to be a background singer because I think that's like a worthy career in of itself. And I love supporting yeah, other artists. Uh, and I thought that was really I, cool. I love that, actually. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like so many times people are looking at everything as like climbing the ladder, you know, like yeah. getting to the next step. And maybe you just love what you do and you just want to do what you love. You know? Maybe that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Where she's like, I yeah. just want to sing. And this provides me the perfect way to sing. Yeah. It no, checks all the boxes awesome. for her. Yeah. I just love that. Another cool thing is that 20 Feet from Stardom is also the 2015 Grammy Award for Best Music Film. And then what was cool is that all of those featured artists got a Grammy for it. So I just love that. That like all six of them ended up getting a Grammy. And some of them actually had Grammys previously, but um, because of their contributions to the music and the creation of this film, they got recognized with the Grammy. So love that. To provide some more context for the um, film, I found an interview with the director with some questions that I wanted to bring up before I talk about the individual women. It was actually just in a local magazine like the Aspen Daily, something like that by Andrew Travers. So the first question is like, how the like, how did this come to be? So the origin of it, and this is, by the way, in the words of the director. So this is who's doing the Q&A with. So Morgan Neville says, the origin of it is Gil Friesen, who used to run A&M Records. He said, I think there's a film to be made about backup singers. And I said, That's interesting because I don't know anything about backup singers and I know a lot about music. We couldn't do research because there were no interviews or documentaries or anything to really go on other than meeting singers. So we spent three months interviewing 15 backup singers, then wrote up a treatment and said, there's definitely a film here. It was a journalistic enterprise in the beginning to see what this world looks like and then find the characters that best represent someone like Darlene Love. Not only is she a great character with a great voice, but her life has all the ups and downs that backup singers have. Which I love the fact that they were like, we just couldn't do research for it. And I think that's something that me and you have run into a lot when we are finding things about just the women that we cover or the concepts we cover where you can't necessarily always just easily Google it and have like three Wikipedia pages that you can just quickly easily reference as a dropping off point. They didn't have that because no one really had asked Mm -hmm. this question, like, who were the backup singers? So they had to go straight to the source, which was the women themselves, which I think is really awesome. Um, Yeah, that's really cool. The next question was, what surprised you in talking to rock stars like Jagger and Springsteen about their 
backup singers. He answered, it was very important that we were only interviewing so-called stars that had personal connections to one of our main characters. All of these kind of people said, quote, I don't know how much I have to say about this. Then they had a lot to say. It's just that nobody has ever asked them about backup singing. It's not that it's not rich. It's just unthought of. By its very nature, it's something that's in the background. That's what made those interviews so much fun. They were answering questions that they never answered. And when you're a rock star, that's novel. So, yeah, that's really cool. I thought that was just so cool that it was like no one thought that they would have enough to say. But then they realized it was just no one had ever asked these questions. No one had ever even thought to ask about the women backup singers that were in their bands. And when they finally did... They had so much to say about them, which That's I thought awesome. was really magical. And then this last question, which I think is my favorite one, which was, I never got the feeling from the film that these women were resentful over not getting rich and famous. And the director answered saying, in the beginning, I was surprised and maybe disappointed that there was no rage. Like, come on, you've got to be angry about this. <laughs> what it made me realize, and that's what the film became about, was how can the people with talent who are in supposedly subservient role do it and not be bitter and prideful. That's part of what people respond to in this film. These women have incredible talent, but they're the opposite of egomaniacs. They're altruistic in a way. It's the opposite of what we normally celebrate in this culture, which is kind of what we touched on a little bit earlier, which uh, was that, you know, the point of it for them, a lot of these women was never, I don't know, wasn't the resentful. And I'm sure they were like, oh, I bet we're going to find so much drama and all these women who hate <laughs> the stars that they were in the background of and then yeah I mean it was the same thing when I was watching the movie is I didn't really feel like any of these women like hated the stars I mean some of them did some bad things like where they didn't give certain women credit for things and there were a couple people who did still pursue a solo career but they weren't resentful towards the stars or the musicians that they were ever singing backup for at least from what I could tell so yeah there's something like kind of so pure about it and not saying Mm -hmm. that like any other form isn't pure it's just the fact that they're just doing it for the sake of like the love of it and not mm-hmm. necessarily like the recognition or money that comes yeah with like stardom per se like I don't know that's that's really beautiful no I agree and it's kind of like what you said earlier where it's now a lot of people are always focused on like climbing the ladder and what they can do mm-hmm. to get ahead and that wasn't necessarily like the point and I think that it was a really cool thing that he brought up the fact that it was like we don't normally celebrate that in our culture. Like normally it's the people who did like always put themselves ahead and like their goal was to be the very, very, very best and be number one all the time. But like there's so much worth celebrating in people that don't necessarily want to be number one or want to be the very, very best. You know, they just like want to be talented and create art. Like that's enough sometimes. It is. I think a lot of the times we look at like rich like money and fame is a way to have more freedom but if you think about the freedom that comes with like a regular job a regular paycheck and like some Mm -hmm. excess time where there's no paparazzi outside your door yeah like that sounds pretty great too (laughs) yeah that's a great that that there's a lot of freedom in that (laughs) yeah then like saw this tiktok just barely where like a guy he's like new work wall in the new apartment and it was like his it was just like for kroger like a bunch of pictures of like him at his job and like awards he'd gotten at his job. And like some of the people in the comments were like making fun of him for like caring so much about his job or whatever. But then other people were like, if you love what you do, like who cares what you're doing? Like, I yeah. don't know. It was, it was a wholesome little vibe where it's like, 
there's like one side of it where it's like, oh, it sucks that, you know, we have to like live to work and work to live and whatnot. But it's like you can be lucky enough to like find something you, you genuinely enjoy doing. Like, yeah, take pride in that. Be happy about that. Like, that's amazing. Seriously. Yeah. And like, don't be upset about the fact that that's what you like. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, there's no enjoy, shame that's if that's what you like your life is. Mm hmm. You don't have to yeah. worry about how it's perceived you, by other people. We don't yeah. always have to be reaching for something higher. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So I actually have already shouted out this on our Instagram stories, but I just wanted to give them an additional shout out Perfect. in um, the podcast because I saw a New York Times article about a bookstore that opened up. Yes. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> They now have two locations, one in Los Angeles and one in Brooklyn, New York. And it's called The Ripped Bodice. It's run by two sisters named B and Lay. And I love this whole thing. So obviously in the year of Barbie. <laughs> mm-hmm. 2023, the year of Barbie. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have been finally focusing a little bit more on women's interests. And we have famously done a podcast episode on romance novels that was really eye-opening for us on how they continue to be the best-selling books mm-hmm. of all time. And then we also did an episode on book talk, just like talking about how women are driving like the book industry forward and print is more popular than it's ever been before. Because of book talk. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the fact that these two sisters are able to open these adorable, cute little pink bookstores completely dedicated to romance novels and like women reading books and they have like the little displays that are like we're in our era's era and then they have like all the different books you know like I just think it's so fun Mm -hmm. and so cool and I'm so on board with it and so if you're in those areas like I just wanted to shout them out and encourage everyone to go shop local if you're gonna go buy book talk books I I know same it's so cute too. Like it is the most adorable I know. little shop. <laughs> I absolutely loved. Yeah. When you sent yes. me that account, I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything <laughs> I need and more. I know. So yeah, they're on Instagram at the ripped bodice. And then the name is just labeled as B and Lay as the two sisters who run it. And they've been going since 2016 and just barely opened their Brooklyn store, I think, this week. Yeah. Cool. So I love it. Okay, so my artist this week is someone that I found on TikTok via page, a video, excuse me, of her drawing beautiful flower petals. Um, her or her yeah account name is February Rose Designs, and her Michelle her name excuse me is Michelle Beaudraw, I think mm-hmm. exact same on Instagram of just February Rose Designs. Uh, where yeah, she does amazing and beautiful watercolor a lot of it is like floral things she's done designs with like letters I personally I love her TikTok because she does a lot of really awesome almost like tutorials but (laughs) tutorials in the way that I was like I literally could never in the (laughs) sense of like like it's not like like oh I will easily just follow those steps and it will look a lot like her but it will show the process um anyways but a lot of just like painting process videos which I think are generally very beautiful and I love it so these are so pretty check it out i know she has commissions too so that's awesome i love the letter ones i know i was gonna say i absolutely love the letter ones which they're like 
obviously the letters with really beautiful like floral bouquet type things behind it and yeah, yeah they are stunning and just so the most beautiful cool. flowers so again that's feb february february rose design all right now back to the show so now I'll go into the women. Like I said, some of them I'll go into a lot more, but then like the last couple, I just have a little paragraph just to kind of like shout out who they were and who they sang for because all of these women like sang with the icons of the 60s through 80s, 90s. So it's pretty cool. But I wanted so to shout cool. out and start with the first person that I learned about, which was Mary Clayton. And she was born December 25th, actually, Christmas Day. In 1948, um, and is an American soul and gospel singer, and she contributed vocals to numerous tracks and worked with many major recording artists for decades, including, probably most famously, a duet with Mick Jagger on the Rolling Stones song, Gimme Shelter. She was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and because she was born on Christmas Day, that's actually why she was named Mary, because of the December 25th birthday, and it's spelled M-E-R-R-Y, not That's like... That's cute. Yeah, it is pretty cute. <laughs> I didn't even like make that connection originally, and then I realized, it's like, oh my gosh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Mary is not spelled the traditional way here. It's spelled like Merry Christmas, so it's perfect. Um, But yes, her voice can be heard as a backup singer on songs by Pearl Bailey, Phil Ox, Tom Jones, Joe Cocker, Linda Ronstant, Carol King... Tori Amos, and on several tracks from Neil Young's debut album. She's often credited as having recorded with Elvis Presley, but her name does not appear in Elvis' sessionographies, which is another just annoying thing that we see with background singers, where a lot of the time their work is very uncredited and not actually shouted out by name, which is so unfortunate because obviously they deserve the recognition for the work that they do. Her voice has been sampled in various songs, most notably Watch for the Hook by Cool Breeze, featuring a goodie mob and outcast. Um, but she actually began her recording career in 1960 at the age of 14, and she first sang Who Can I Count On as a duet with Bobby Darin on his album You're the Reason I'm Living. In 1963, she recorded the first released version of the Shoot Shoop song, It's in His Kiss. And then that was the same year that Betty Everett's version reached the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. So she was the first person to actually record it. Early in her career, she actually performed with Ray Charles as one of the Raylettes. At the time, Charles was the only artist her father would allow her to see at a live performance. And I think it was because, like, her family was very religious. And so, like, for some reason, Ray Charles was, like, the one that they made the exception for (laughs) Um, and she got to sing with them like i mentioned she's best known for her 1969 duet with mick jagger on the rolling stone songs give me shelter a fun fact is on some releases her name is misspelled as mary as an m-a-r-y not how she's spelled which again is just you know shows evidence of the oversight of like "Eh, this doesn't matter when like if you listen to the song like yeah She's a big part of it. But according to Jagger, the collaboration happened partially by chance. Jagger stated that the band thought it'd be great to have a woman come in and do the chorus. They called Clayton randomly in the middle of the night in L.A. And she showed up to the studio in curlers and contributed her parts in a few takes, which Jagger remarked was pretty amazing how she had done it. She actually performed her parts while pregnant and unfortunately very soon afterwards suffered a miscarriage, which is really sad. Um, And she, though, was actually the band's second choice of the part. Uh, They had originally asked a singer named Bonnie Bramlett to sing on the song, but her husband actually refused to let her perform with the Stones. And so because of that, they ended up calling Mary. So Hmm. thought that was interesting. And then in 1973, she was also featured prominently on Ringo Starr's Oh My My 
which reached Billboard's top 10 the following year. And then she also sang backing vocals on Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home, Alabama. The documentary like had a portion where she was talking about singing Sweet Home, Alabama, where she like got a call and they asked if she would sing the song. She's a funny woman and she was like, nobody's singing about Alabama. I don't want to sing about Alabama. Um, just like <laughs> laughing at like the very notion that the song like this would exist. Yeah. Especially like as a black woman, I think she was like, no, like Alabama hasn't been good to me. But she she said something along the lines of like she was really young at that time. And I don't know if it was her boyfriend or her husband, but he was like, you don't understand. But like, I think it's important that like you be a part of this song and you'll understand when you're older or something like that, which in my opinion is condescending. I hope she didn't yeah. take it as such. But she ended up singing, you know, the background vocals of that song, which I'm sure she I mean, she found it ironic. But hey. <laughs> She did it, and maybe it is right, and I don't know, to theme that you know, it's not widely known that she's the one who did the backup vocals on yeah. Sweet Home Alabama. So, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> as condescending as it was, it could have been important if she would have been credited and, like, that talked about. So, yeah. That's, that's get, the thing. <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah. maybe it's just, like, a way of, like, taking your power back. I don't know. Of, like, yeah, this is ironic and this sucks and, you know, this doesn't seem right. But, like, hey, you know, go take this and go sing it so that you know that, like, there is a black woman singing on the song. True. I, I mean, it is still probably one of the most well-known songs. That's Even if it's, like, song. memed. Yeah, it is memed at this point, but it is one of the most well-known songs. So next time you hear that song, everybody, in jest, generally, it is now sung. But <laughs> Mary Clayton, her voice is featured on that song, so I hope you think of her. Anyways, so there is just a very brief snapshot into the amazing Mary Clayton's life. The next person I want to talk about is Darlene Love. Darlene Love, unfortunately, has other examples of just not being credited for things. So she was actually born Darlene Wright, um, though she is known pro professionally as Darlene Love. She was born July 26, 1941, is an American singer and actually also an actress. She was the lead singer of the girl group The Blossoms, and she also recorded as a solo artist. The Blossoms as a group recorded a lot of major like background vocals for songs throughout the 60s and I think even the 50s. So... Um, That's cool. Anyways, like, it's almost like the, like, you know, when, like, you imagine, like, a 60s songs with, like, the tight harmonies in the background done by the girls, like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's always the Blossoms, but I would say there's a really good chance it's the Blossoms. I think of, like, listening to. the Supremes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, or, like, it's just a style choice at the time. It was very yeah, popular. Hairspray with the, like, shoop, shoop. Shoot. Yep. <laughs> there was the Blossoms. Mm -hmm. So while still in high school in 1957, she sang with the Echoes, which is a mixed gender doo-wop group. And then she was then invited to join a little known group called the Blossoms. In 1962, the Blossoms were hired to sing on a session by producer Phil Spector. His girl group that was called the Crystals, they could not make it to L.A. in time for the session. So Darlene was paid $5,000 to sing lead on a song called He's a Rebel. And this was her first time actually on a Spectre recording. But the single, which was credited to The Crystals, was released by Spectre on his record label, I think. Get what? his version of the Gene Pitney song onto the market before like a different record label, I think, was going to release their version of the song. 
like Ghost released this song came as a total surprise to the Crystals. So the Crystals are not here to blame because, by the way, like they were an experienced good girl group. Like it's not like they didn't have the talent. Like they very yeah. much could have done it in their own right. But they just they, couldn't get there. They just couldn't get there in time to make sure that it was released first. But they were then required to perform and promote the new single on television and on tour as if it was their own. And the single actually ended up reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100 That in would be so frustrating for both of them because, like, they for didn't both. record it. <laughs> yes. And then they did. Like, <laughs> yeah. That would be annoying. So Phil Spector didn't just, like, yeah, take advantage of Darlene Love here. First off, it was all the girls that were in the Blossom. Um, yeah. But then also, yeah, the, the Crystals, where I don't know if they were necessarily, like, lip-syncing it. Or if they were just like sounded similar enough that when they were performing it live, they just like didn't worry about it. But they are not sadly the singing in the recorded version. Yeah, sadly, they probably thought that no one would notice a difference. So it didn't true. Matter. That is very That's true and not good. Yes. What's even well almost crazier? So following the release of He's a Rebel, Darlene Wright signed a deal with Spectre, um, who actually then renamed renamed her Darlene Love, and she recorded a song called He's Sure the Boy I Love, and she thought that it would be released under her name. But Spectre, again, credited it to the Crystals. Gosh. So, so we're canceling Phil Spectre. Yeah, yeah, he sucks. <laughs> Cynthia Wheel, who co-wrote the song with her husband, Barry Mann, was even unaware that Love had sung on the track. Quote, saying, it all came out later. I think it was a terrible thing to do to her. And Inspector had Love sing Dadu Ron Ron in the studio, but he decided to record it with another singer at the last minute. So multiple instances where, I mean, the first two are horrible where yeah. she's recording and then it ends up being the like the crystals who are releasing it. And the, that like even the songwriter did, had no idea that this was happening. I mean, granted, I have thoughts on the fact that our songwriters actually ever included in, <laughs> in the decisions about the song. Probably no. not. Yeah. So, but I guess it just shows that it's like, it's not like this was a conspiring thing. Like it really was just Phil Spector here calling the shots and he called it inappropriately and wrongly. And that, that is sucks. so messed up. Mm -hmm. Love recorded the track Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home for the 1963 holiday compilation album, A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector. Uh, the song was written by Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich along with Phil Spector with the intention of being sung by Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes. But according to Love, Ronnie Spector was not able to put as much emotion into the song as needed. Instead, Love was brought onto the studio to record the song, which became a large success over time and it became her signature tune. So this time, thank goodness, she was actually credited as the singers oh, okay. and that is the song we hear on the radio right is that the yeah i think darlene that's love? like the okay. classic christmas version of that song is darlene love's voice that so that makes sense that provides that's some probably why her name her name actually sounds like really familiar to me and so it's yep. probably mm -hmm. from it's that christmas song yep for sure but as a member of the blossom she contributed back vocals behind many of the biggest hits of the 1960s, um, including the Ronettes' Be My Baby, Shelly Febra's Johnny Angel, Bobby Boris Pickett's Monster Mash. So, you know, the iconic background vocals, that the is Monster an Mash. Iconic song. That's the Blossoms. So there's some context for that. Frank Sinatra's version of That's Life and the Crystals' Dudu Ron Ron. The Blossoms recorded singles, usually with little success, though, on Capitol. So even though the Blossoms themselves didn't really have a breakout hit, they are featured on very, very iconic songs um, that are, you know, 
sung and known to this day, which is really cool. Yeah, like uh, seasonal is, songs that get played yeah, which every is single year. A lot of seasonal songs, <laughs> which I think is like a funny little like thing about like these 50s and 60s iconic songs. Like with Sweet Home Alabama and the Monster Mash, like they're songs that have kind of more become memes, but in a way that's how they've like cemented themselves as being like culturally yeah. significant and iconic. And I think like that will last. So Hey, maybe as a songwriter, the goal should be to have your song be a meme one day because. Yeah. Well, think of like Rick Astley, never going to give you up. Yeah, true. (laughs) He is rolling in those residuals regardless of how many people are laughing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good goal to aim for. Uh-huh. The Blossoms as a group landed a weekly part on a show called Shindig, which was a top music show of the era. They also appeared on Johnny Rivers' hits, including Poor Side of Town, Baby, I Need Your Loving, and the track Some Tears. And another cool thing, and I mean, we did an episode about Elvis where we talked about the movie and also just the issues and the women behind Elvis. So here are some more women that are behind Elvis where they were part of the Elvis Presley 68 comeback special, which aired on NBC. So again, like they were obviously a big enough group that Elvis knew to call them, you know? Yeah. In the 1980s, she portrayed herself in the Tony Award-nominated jukebox musical Leader of the Pack, which featured the iconic rock and roll songs written by Ellie Greenwich, many of which were for a younger version of Darlene Love. And side note, I made a little note in my notes like, wait, what? Who's Ellie Greenwich? Or Greenwich? Because I think I'm doing a future episode on her. So cool. Old pop songwriters. In 1986, her second chance came when she was asked to sing Christmas Baby, Please Come Home on David Letterman's Christmas show, which actually became a yearly tradition, which I think is really cool. And then she ended up singing background vocals for U2's remake of that song the following year. In 2008, she was ranked number 84 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Singers of All Time list, which is cool. December 15th of 2010, it was announced that Love had been chosen for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And yeah, in March 2011, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with a speech by Bette Midler. And Bette Midler said, quote, she changed my view of the world. Listening to those songs, you had to dance, you had to move, you had to keep looking for the rebel boy. Near tears, Love noted that she would turn 70 later that year and thanked Spectre, quote, recognizing my talent and making me the main voice in his wall of sound. Her speech elicited a standing ovation, and later she sang zippity doo Dot" with Springsteen providing a guitar solo. So, listen, yeah. in her induction speech, she did thank Phil Spector, but... <laughs> but also... He's still canceled. Yeah, but also in the documentary, mm-hmm. she also talked about the ways he screwed her over. So, you know what? Things can be true. Yep, you can have complicated emotions for people. You can be thankful for the good things they did and recognize the bad things that they did. And I personally am going to focus on the bad things he did. And (laughs) the good things that she did were because of her own talent. (laughs) Yes, I agree. So there's Darlene Love. From my perspective, Darlene Love maybe has had the most professional individual career Mm. out of the main six. But I don't even actually know if I can say that confidently because they all pursued solo records and like got different levels of like acclaim and reached levels of success so i don't even want to necessarily say that but anyways um these next people though it's going to be just short little bits for the rest of them but this next one is judith hall judith glory hall is an american singer songwriter from la and she has provided backing vocals for such artists as michael jackson prince and josh brobin in 2009 she was chosen as jackson's duet partner 
for the song I Just Can't Stop Loving You during his This Is It concert. But then, unfortunately, he had, of course, you know, passed away. So in 2009, she, along with the rest of the This Is It cast members, performed at Jackson's memorial service and attracted global attention when she sang the lead on the song Heal the World. Her debut album came out in 2015 called Back in Time with Prince, actually, as the co-producer. So that story was a really cool one to hear them talk about where... It was kind of like she got this amazing role like as like a main duet partner for the Michael Jackson tour. And then he, you know, very tragically dies. And so this opportunity is, you know, taken away from her. And then, though, during the memorial concert, she ended up like getting worldwide recognition of being like people being like, who is this person singing this song? That's incredible. Which ended up leading to a lot more other amazing opportunities for her. So that's awesome cool when people get recognized for their incredible talents. Lisa Fisher is also, of course, an American singer and songwriter, and she found success actually with her 1991 debut album, So Intense, which produced a Grammy award-winning hit single, How Can I Ease the Pain? But she was a very prominent backup singer for a number of famous artists, including Sting, uh, Luther Vandross, and Tina Turner. And she actually toured with the Rolling Stones from 1989 to 2015. So that was a pretty consistent gig for her. Not to be confused with Mary Clayton, she actually did the recorded version, but then Lisa Fisher was one of their like main background singers that would tour with the Rolling Stones. Gotcha. So, but she was one of those people who just like talked about just like loving that gig and like just being so comfortable there and just being like, why would I, why would I not do this? Because I love it, you know? And again, yeah. it was just like, a good reminder. Tata Vega is another one. She was born in Queens, New York. And raised between New York, Chicago, Texas, Panama, and Puerto Rico. So she's from all over. Um, wow. And she had an active career as a lead backing vocalist, working with Russ Taff, Stevie Wonder, Patti LaBelle, Michael Jackson, Ray Charles, Madonna, but singing duets with Lou Rawls, Jermaine Jackson, Peter Rivera, Rare Earth, and Michael Cimbello. So a lot of iconic artists. But she's featured on the 2010 Elton John and Leon Russell CD, The Union. She also worked in film, performing the voice of Shug Avery in The Color Purple. And she's Mm -hmm. featured on four songs on the 1986 soundtrack album, one of which was nominated for an Academy Award in the Best Song category. So that's really amazing. And in 1985, she was nominated for the Best Soul Female Gospel Performance at the 27th Grammy Awards for her vocals on a song cover that she did for Oh, It Is Jesus. So again, you know, very iconic. And then the last person shouted out and featured is Joe Lowry, who is an Australian singer and musician. She actually released a debut album in 2008 called I Want to Be Happy. And then in 2009, she began working with Sting after winning an audition to tour with him. And she, yeah, I think that was her like main gig was touring with Sting. And so, yeah, anyways. Cool. The last couple, obviously, very brief. But all of them are just incredibly talented women who have toured with some of the biggest acts and worked right alongside them and are all just amazing examples of love and devotion to their own artistry. And it was super inspiring to watch the documentary and just to like learn more about these women. So here is the starting point. I would encourage everyone to go watch that documentary. You have access to HBO because yeah, it was really, it was really good. That's so cool. And that's it. Those are The women of 20 feet from stardom. I love hearing stories like this. I feel like 
it helps combat that like starving artist narrative mm-hmm. or like egotistical artist narrative and then also just like shine light on uh, just things you never think about you know like yeah mm-hmm. think about the background singers and these tracks like the monster yeah. mash you know what I mean? Yeah. And now, like, I know that every time I hear that, I'm going to think about these oh, that's amazing the women. Yeah, like, that's that's really cool to me. And I think yeah. it changes, like, your perspective on history and everything. And it, like, sticks with you. And totally, that's what this whole podcast is about. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I think that's another thing we talked about in the documentary where it's, like, the truth is, is, like, to pursue being a solo artist like there is an incredible amount of ego that is necessary Mm. for it and beyond that like sure there is a lot of work that goes into it and it's not necessarily like oh these women weren't willing to work for it it's just that you know what maybe certain people don't have the personality or the ego type you know style personality to pursue being a solo artist or to do all the insane things that are necessary. Kind of like the starving artist like narrative where yeah. it's like, you know what? Like maybe at a certain point they weren't willing to give up the stability and the comfort and, you know, like the steady paychecks that these jobs provided them. And that's actually not something that should be shamed, you know? No, like, I don't think there's anything thing. wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think it, it takes a whole other level of courage to like be happy with your life the way that it is I think that that's something that so many people are unable to do Mm -hmm. and it's like a really cool thing yeah they they were able to be happy just singing you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's that's awesome they probably are the ones who actually have the cool stories you know like like there I can't remember which one of the women who talked about it but like she was totally like having an affair with one of the rock stars but she's like we had a lot of fun like it was awesome and like that's always like this like I don't know like that's like the life you want to live you know like the ones where it's like you're going to be old one day you're going to have amazing stories and you had those amazing experiences doing what you love and that's definitely performing and having the way to do yeah yeah it was awesome to learn about that and be reminded of that, I think, especially. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Mm-hmm. We have a topic episode next week that we've been preparing for for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So come back for that. And then we get to move into September, which will just be more amazing things. We've got a great rest of the year planned, honestly. Like, I'm mm-hmm. really excited about all of our episodes. So keep coming back. Tell a friend. Thank rate, you. review. Follow us on Instagram. And all the things. Yeah. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.